Hello. Welcome to another episode of Connect This. One in which half of my face does not work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I uh, just had a filling and uh, waiting for that, uh, that funny metal taste to go away and me to feel my face again. Uh, I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, or as I'm thinking about it right now, Self-Reliance. Um, I am joined by our regular crew. Uh, we have Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Hey, Welcome I have back. a question for you, Chris. Don't they, they have that like shot now that can like remove like the numbing quicker? Have you never had that? No, I have to. I'm putting you in touch with my dentist. We don't have that in Minnesota, I don't think. All that oh, fancy yeah. technology in Utah, you know. <laughs> well, and, and it's good to see you again, Chris. It, it's been only a week uh, since I saw you last. So, yeah, but what's weird is I was at an event and you weren't there. I was so, I was like lost without you in Cleveland uh, at a wonderful event that Pew put on with a lot of great folks. Um, uh, we also had Travis there chiming in. Travis Carter, the the everything of USI Fiber, who told me he was in Indiana and could not hang out, but is clearly broadcasting from uh, his kitchen. Yeah, sorry, I'm still there. No, <laughs> I have a question that Doug and I have wanted to ask you and Kim for since episode one. Do you guys ever work, or do you just go from show to show to show to show? Or I mean, how how does your gig work? So. Well, yeah. So half of my budget is flying, and the other half is Wi-Fi on planes to work. Okay. <laughs> All right, that answers that question. So, <laughs> um, and I do have travel season, and so like I actually only have one trip planned for the whole rest of the summer. So, um, it, it gets crazy, and then it gets um, where I, I try to get a little bit of work done, and occasionally take a little vacation. Um, you leave during the summer when it's nice in Minnesota, and you sit here like a polar bear all winter. It's not nice in Minnesota. It's been a hundred freaking degrees. Oh, <laughs> anytime off I have, I'm in Lake Nokomis. <laughs> so, um, uh, finally, Doug Dawson, uh, CCG Pots and Pans by CCG.com. Welcome back. Thanks. And, you know, I'm so interested and so invested in the show that I whacked four inches of my beard off this morning just for you. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure that people will find you much more credible now. I thought it was a different shirt, but I can just see more of the shirt now. No, it's, it's, well, it is always a different shirt. So it's a yeah. train. I was it's, so like the, the, train. the, uh, the exhaust area there, it looked at first, I, my brain first wanted to interpret it as a Mandalorian Grateful uh, Dead t-shirt, which would be amazing if someone made that. Uh, we'll work on it. I got a Mandalorian credit card, a baby oh. Mandalorian credit card the other day. So awesome. I don't know why, but my wife goes here. You need this. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an excellent wife. Um, I, yeah. Let's let's dive right in. We're not going to do a picture today. We've got so many meaty topics to talk about. <laughs> uh, the first one is that Travis uh, at least pretended to be on the road um, to get out of a, a play date with me. And um uh, on the road, he tested out LTE once again, which we've talked about on many shows. But finally, uh, he took his, uh, his Starlink package with him. So what was going on there, Travis? All right. So here it is. You ready for it? Starlink has officially been promoted to my fourth favorite broadband technology. <laughs> fourth favorite? It is darn good, let me tell you. So, Kim, you might ask, what are one and two and three? So, yeah, you know, obviously. Ask. Okay, let's go. Let's, you know, obviously fiber is number one. And what, hmm? are your, what are your top four uh, broadband technologies? I'm just curious. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Number one, by a country mile, of course, is fiber. Followed by, you know, cable doxis. You got to put a hat off to them on a unsaturated node. That is a key thing. 
there though you will not find those very much unless you're in a fiber area like utopia or usi where we take all the customers off and leave who's ever left with a good cable experience number three wisp technology tdd and the five and six six gigahertz wireless with a good signal starlink number four dsl number five dial up number six and lte coming 5g 4g 9g coming in last place after dial up lte is horrible horrible <laughs> and it doesn't matter where you are in the country it is horrible i'll leave it at that there you go that's I think my... travis might be a little passionate about this topic uh, just uh, looking yeah and you know what i'm what's interesting is i'm less concerned about speed and more concerned about just a reliable, stable connection. So, you know, as we've Well, alluded- it's interesting that Starlink is up that high with you because you sent <coughs> me your uh, ping test. And uh, well, let's just say that it didn't look like it was as advertised ah, to me. And so if you have the picture of Dishy, uh, we're not doing a picture. No, we, we are. Let's bring Dishy, bring Dishy look, up. Look at Dishy. Look at Dishy out there working. Looks like the Mars rover. I built it in a little case. So I learned how to do it. If you face Dishy North and he's got really good view of the sky, your latency is good, your throughput is good, and your, your consistency is there. It was really good, consistently reliable, streaming the whole thing, and I cannot say that is true for LTE. Which how, is big interesting. Is, how big is Dishy? How what big is he is about? Maybe like 14 by 12. You know, he's pretty small. You got to get him up out of uh, and any and unlike. So I think where we're going to have a real interesting dilemma with people understanding this technology is historical satellite. When the satellites in geosynchronous orbit, you just need a very small view of the of the southern horizon. Dishy needs to see it all. Because of the way the the orientation of the satellites flying because over, because they're, they're they're orbiting every two hours, right? Like ninety oh, minutes, no, no, two no. hours. He'll be connected to one satellite for a few minutes, and then another that's what minute. I'm saying. Because yeah. they're because the sat the 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 birds move around every. Yeah. I think they they're orbiting at a rate of like ninety minutes to 120 minutes or so, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's I, a good good question. I don't know, but they're they're constantly ones coming in and ones coming out, and yeah. Dishy has to be able to see them to do the handoff. But it is a spectacular technology for mobile. But still, your pings share your pings. I mean, they were in the they were triple digits, right? I mean, like. Well, okay, I should have sent you a follow up because I was so excited it was working. I kind of forgot about it. So, <laughs> and, then, and then weren't we arguing about twenty dollars chicken just, then or something? You just think about uh, me when things are broken. <laughs> Forget well, no, about I mean, me when things are going well. We got off into other tantrums, so you know, I think I forgot about the ping time because you know I, I was what? Gonna say, you're, you're not talking about gas prices right now, so I know you're in a good mood. <laughs> Oh, that's a whole separate disaster. But anyways, the um, no once you know it, it, what's ironic is when your internet works and it's reliable, you don't even think about it. So once Dishy started to work and was reliable, I went off on other things to worry about. I, I, and I've and I've seen most of the ping times for it around thirty. I mean, it's not bad. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I needed to ask you, Travis. Do you need some marketing help um, to rename your uh, device besides Dishy? Oh, that's the term from uh, Starlink. Oh gosh! Yeah, yeah. Dishy McDish face was already taken. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, uh, I um, um I, know, I didn't come up with it. I just call it that. 
Now, I'm curious, because you, you brought up this issue of 12 gigahertz, and I know that Starlink recently was making an issue of this. This is an ongoing proceeding about uh, whether or not um, we uh, should make 12 gigahertz more open to terrestrial use, whereas right now it's reserved for, I believe, um, um, uh, what is it, like uh, for satellite service, basically. So what brought that up, Travis? Was it seeing the articles about that? or was Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think the whole the issue is, is it, it works so well you know, out in areas that are unserved that if you've got a LTE provider that's starting to blast 12 gigahertz, you know, uh, horizontally into, into everybody's dish, the effectiveness and the, the self, the interference is going to be terrible and probably quite frankly, destroy Starlink altogether. So, right. And you got to remember that dish networks owns a whole giant pile of it. And that's, they plan to use it for, for short haul broadband data. And they're and they're talking about getting really good speeds with it. So, um, and that yeah, that will absolutely kill it. I've this has been coming for five years, and and I think that Dish is you know I think that Starlink has been dreaming. I mean, they're going to get interference, and which means they're going to have to put their base stations in the middle of you know the Arctic or something. So. Well, let's um, just to be clear, I feel like uh, the folks at um, Dish would probably be uh, upset about this, uh, that, that it will totally interfere. I mean, I feel like um, what I see from people that I trust on this issue, like Harold Feld, among others, is that the FCC is studying it. And although we rag on the FCC constantly and deservedly so for doing a terrible job on things like mapping and, and it sure doesn't look like it's getting better. Anything that I'm hearing out of DC regarding the FCC's mapping process. Um, when it comes to engineering, I would expect that they, they're doing, working on a report that should be available soon, I think, about whether or not they believe that they can allow these things to coexist. And my expectation is a lot of people are, are think that this will be a very credible report. Most of their reports are, so we'll see. Yep. No, I, I'll just say as a, as a user of it, it, it is really impressive. It is far more impressive than the LTE deployment. So if Kim has a vote, if we could just let... Starlink and other satellite people use it, that would be ideal. So, so I have a question. Are you more impressed than you thought you would be by like Starlink? Than oh, ex exponentially more impressed. I, I, I literally almost fell over. And I think we're expecting to see more improvement, right? I mean, like Starlink launched and people were impressed. Now it's getting a bit saturated. And I feel like there's a, a little bit of frustration among some users with the speeds that they're recurring. Um, well, well, the issue you run into, and this is the issue that, that Kim and I face every single day. People sit and run speed tests nonstop. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if you're even 2% less than what you paid for, in come the customer service calls. What, what was interesting about Starlink is I wasn't necessarily getting the speeds, but the consistency was there. So their their time uh, algorithm, their 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 error fairness algorithm is really well done. Meaning that even though there's a little bit of bandwidth left, everything I was you know like with YouTube and things that buffer, I never even noticed it, an experience. And then the, the way I always judge that is if you're watching a high def or a 4K stream and it starts to derate you know, down to like 720 or 480 or 360. No, it just, it just streamed along all day, every day. No problem. The thing that I find interesting about that is, is particularly is that I think right now they're still using all RF, right? Like they're not using the lasers yet, but that's supposed to go live soon. And well, the so, lasers are between the satellites. Right. But it's, that's going to be a big deal as they, uh, as they try to deal with like offloading and, and balancing mm, their, I think their, their bigger issue is the, the 12 gigahertz. The, that's what Dishy is speaking to the satellite mm -hmm. on. 
um, that's where the biggest problem is going to be because they're using other frequencies to downlink the data. Um, I think it's going to be the access. Yeah, Peggy, I, I, I was going to do this call on Starlink, but uh, I did not uh, have that experience. Um, and I think this may have to be with local congestion too, right? I mean, if you've got a bunch of people in Maine who are all using it, then um, around you, then that those birds are going to be congested, right? Yep. It's, it, I mean, it's 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 a wireless technology, but instead of going horizontally to a tower, you're just going up into the. It's. I mean, the 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 same type of concept is still there. I love Peggy's coming in hot because that's what I was about to say. Is like people I know in rural California, which have no access to anything else are saying that they are not having great experiences with Starlink. So this is very um, different than anything I uh, have heard. From well, Starlink. and, and he already said why. You need to see the whole sky. So if you can only yeah. see two-thirds of the sky, it's a very different experience. Oh, no, that 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 is, yeah. If you, if you have any visibility blockage, the experience is very sporadic. I mean, if you live where there's mountains, you know, or, or canyons or anything around you, very, very different experience. And I think a lot of this, the problem is, is that Starlink anticipated having more um, birds up because they expected that their heavy lift rockets would be working, but I think they're not yet. And so they can't deploy as fast as they hope they would. And they might be on sort of the wrong side of the curve at this point in terms of growth versus their capacity. I think they thought their capacity would be greater at this point. Well, they have 25 out of the first original 3,600 out of 2,500. Yeah, they, they're, remember, their full constellation is 11,000. And if they don't get moving, they only last five years. The first ones are going to start falling down. <laughs> I mean, they have a constant replacement issue, which is a big challenge. Right. Yeah. So I want to move on, though, to another topic, which is um, uh, there's an interesting story written by um, our colleague here at Institute Focal Self-Reliance, Sean, um, who uh, covered Pella, Iowa, and they've launched and uh, they hit their um, uh, sort of their goal of subscribers uh, pretty quick in terms of what they needed as a bare minimum to break even. And this fits with uh, multiple trends that I've been seeing. I feel like for the past several years, uh, it's just empirically been less risky. Um, municipal networks have launched and hit their goals uh, much earlier than anticipated generally. Um, and then I wanted to juxtapose that with, I feel like I hear that people are more scared about muni fiber than before because the incumbents are really getting good at scaring people over it. And so um, that's my impression. I'm curious, you know, Doug and Kim, if, uh, you know, if that resonates with you at all. I'm not seeing a whole lot of new munis make it all the way through the process. I think you're right about the scare mm -hmm. factor. They, they've always been good at it. I mean, you know, I, the first one that I ever saw completely get scared off was right down the street from you in South St. Paul, where North St. Paul, yep. North St. Paul, where they literally showed up. With the buses. day before the boat with like 20 buses of, <laughs> of outsiders who knocked on every little old lady's door and scared them to death, you know, so, the, so they've been good at it for a long time, but, uh, uh, but yeah, they, 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 they do just enough to kill these votes. So that, you know, uh, but I agree with you that <clears throat> take rates are up for all ISPs. Travis is doing far better than he would have done five years ago. I mean, the fact is, yeah, I, that that was the point I was going to make, Doug. I don't care if it's municipal or what it, no, what exactly, it is. Exactly, exactly. You got a fiber cable running out in people's house. You got to be a knucklehead not to be able to sell at least half of them. I mean, Proof: I mean, Frontiers numbers are up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Would, right. Kim, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's you're seeing a lot of lobbying against Muni broadband. You're seeing so many um, fallacies come out there of what they're saying. 
I hear it all the time of the utopia story. They tell the first five years of the utopia story, not since 2009, of how successful we've been. And they're using just very specific information to get these people to not to vote against it. But because a lot of these people have no idea, you hear this, well, the government's not great at anything. So why would they be great at broadband? I mean, that's the, the, that's the line that I hear over and over again. And now I mean, we have an argument because we just put Travis on and go, any knucklehead can make it work. Well, and, and, well on top of that, I said, I said, if the fiber's there, getting the fiber there is the hard part. Yeah. So Travis will spend all day talking about how many government programs work. So we don't have to talk about that. Well, we can. We can Here, here's one. You want to hear my, my top five? No, hold on. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so help me God, I do. I just wanted to know Travis. Oh, no, no. You know, I am a huge fan of the government's military. Other than that, I'll tell you what, the roads. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, no, but I was going to say is that the argument is interesting, right? Because it's like, oh, the government's not great. at it. Well, the government doesn't have to be great at it. It just has to not suck at it, right? Uh, Doug, how is your charter connection treating you right now? <laughs> I, I have to reboot every time I get on this show. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. not re it's not reliable. Yeah. I mean, that, that's competing with the best and the brightest on the other side. Comcast <laughs> is not the most hated company in America because they're sure. delivering the best well, customer experience. And I, I always have to defend Comcast. I feel like Comcast is the largest, so they are the, technically the most hated. But like, if I have a choice between Comcast and Mediacom or Comcast and Suddenlink, Comcast is freaking amazing compared to well, them. Comcast is not just the worst in the telecom industry. They are the worst company in America. That <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure Mediacom was down there and you got like... Like, um, and actually, suddenly, well, Altice, I think, is now the owner of Suddenlink, right? Like, yeah. Um, and, I mean, Kim, I, 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 I think you're right. There's a lot of people who've had bad experiences with Comcast. I live in a neighborhood that seems to be very doing really. They love their slow DSL. My note is not saturated for whatever reason. We don't have any fiber nearby, but like, I have a great experience on Comcast here. Um, although, frankly, I, I pay for a gig. I pay 100 bucks a month, and I just do it for the 40 meg upload. There's something with my internal network where I actually average like 100 megabits down, and I'm cool with it because I got my upload. <laughs> because if I can get 100 by 40, I'm happy with it. I haven't had the energy to fix it for like five months now. <laughs> so... It's, I think you're I think you're going to see a rise of muni networks, but I think you're going to see like a lot of people opposing them. I think we're seeing them on both sides. I think you're seeing restrictions being lifted in some of the states. You're seeing other states impose restrictions. It's I think it's more polarizing than it ever has been. Maybe not. But you are seeing cities fight for it. I mean, I'm getting con like contacted every day from communities around the country who are like, we want Muni broadband, um, especially right. open access broadband. But is that just like, is that the Kim McKinley of their community or is it the mayor? Um, no, it's the mayors. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, like a lot of it is city officials, mayors, people who are in a fiber committee where the city has uh, given them the power to go research uh, how to make, th make this happen. And wait for three or four, wait for three or four years because after these rural grants get put in and fiber comes right up to the city boundary and the city's got the crappiest broadband in the neighborhood, it's going to be an explosion. So. I was just talking with folks um, from AARP, I think, about that and how um, no, it was a different call I was on. Um, and because uh, when I'm not traveling, I'm talking to people virtually. And, uh, and it was uh, and I was saying that, yeah, like, I mean, the path and actually, I don't know, Rye, if you're able to double team, if you're able to uh, throw up that image that uh, Christine developed, our green map 
Um, I think it's freaking amazing. Um, um, our, our, our research and data person, uh, Christine, she just um, has been working on this map showing all the nonprofit, like the cooperative and municipal fiber in the nation. And uh, we did this a few years ago, and it's just all over the place. It's really impressive what's happening, but it's all in the rural areas. I mean, we've got to be approaching like, I mean, last time I checked, we were on the order of like 20% for like rural fiber penetration. I think we're, we've got to be up north of 30% on our way to 40% right now. Uh, uh, just looking at these maps. Well, uh, we heard from Ryan. It's going to be 90 seconds. I'm just curious. And what's what's Travis's five favorite muni broadband providers? <laughs> <laughs> no, my five favorite government programs, right? <laughs> One. So, so you love the military? Is it is it because we haven't been invaded by Canada? Like uh, we're not we're not worried well, about that. Know, I, I'm more worried about Iceland. You know. I, I, well, I want to tell you, your number two favorite had better be Utopia, just mm -hmm. to let you know. Okay. Well, I, oh, you absolutely. Know but yeah. you know what? I'll, I'll say for Utopia, I get the sense that Utopia is <laughs> very good people running Utopia. And if I don't know where all these people are that are super, that are running these other ones around the country, I've just never met them. So I've noticed universally the ones that I've seen that are doing well have some really decent people that are very passionate about this. This just isn't another thing that gets stick, stuck in the IT department for them to deal with. You know, somebody lives and breathes this every day. Well, I Absolutely think that, accurate. I think that's the biggest thing about like these projects of not getting lifted off the ground, because if you put um, the IT director from a city in charge of it, they don't want more work to do. <laughs> right. no. yeah. That's why it won't get, you have to have like some kind of real big passion and people who want to see this. Uh, what are so we looking at here, Chris? This is this is our map of this is not all the fiber in the United States. This is fiber just last mile fiber just from telephone co-ops, electric co-ops, and municipal <coughs> providers. First thing you'll notice is that there's a are lot the, are of these are already built or on the way. So the dark colors are already built. The lighter okay. shades, which is easier to see the difference on the map when it's bigger, but uh, the lighter shades are where the co-op is committed to building out everywhere. Often they already have the money. It's just a matter of getting it done. Um, and the, as you can tell, like Louisiana has very little and actually just has Lafayette, but there are co-ops that are starting. So our map still doesn't reflect all of those where they haven't yet got their financing. But as bead rolls through, we, we see more co-ops. And and I think as we get the more, the rest of the co-ops approved through ARDOF, we're gonna see still more of these areas covered. Like I think Georgia, Mississippi, and, and uh, Louisiana have much more coverage even than we're showing here. Yeah, like but West Virginia, Montana, that is, West Montana Virginia, that is the only co-op there is. So that's the map. <laughs> right, right. But if you look at Montana, uh, Montana, like I mean, yeah. in the Dakotas, uh, they're killing it with those those co-ops up there. Absolutely. Um, you know, so anyway, hearing, I'm hearing this across the board is that a lot of co-ops want to get into this space, but they don't want to necessarily operate it. And how do they get somebody to operate it? A lot of these co-ops do have partners, and like the, if you take Tennessee, most of them are partnering with telephone co-ops. So we can pull it down now. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I think first of all, the electric co-ops um, have, uh, I think, the largest like consultant in this space is Connexon, and they work with the co-ops so they can operate the triple play network. Um, and in some cases now Connexon is willing to deploy services, kind of like I think Magellan is doing this now too, as a, both a consultant and then an operator in some cases. Um, we are seeing uh, the partnerships with co-ops or uh, co-ops are buying small ISPs and then, um, right. and then forming arrangements with them. Uh, that's going on. 
Um, right. and, uh, and Chattanooga is one of the municipal networks, uh, Juan Roman, um, notes, um, all right. So there, uh, sometimes people get the terminology, um, uh, but, um, uh, Chattanooga, uh, obviously one of the most successful mm -hmm. municipal networks. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's remarkable, but I just, I feel like I keep hearing stories of people being scared off in Maine. We just had two referendums that, and I think there's a, there's a much larger effort to scare people in Maine because the state has such a smart policy of encouraging, you know, um, investments that will actually serve the long-term interests of the state rather than just shoveling money to charter as fast as possible. By the way, I'll say that, um, Doug, your charter connection is a million times better than my colleague, Stacy, who's in Portland, uh, Maine. Oh, I, oh I'm sure. Yeah. That, that main plant for charter is just awful. <laughs> it's really bad. So we got to remember uh, charter is built by buying other cable companies and some of them yeah, are just dreadful. Right. Because yeah. we had a Delphia, right. And that's probably right. a Delphia plant probably. probably. Right. And it went to time probably. Warner cable and then to right. charter spectrum. Yeah. And Adelphia was, phew. whenever people talk to me about how bad municipal can get, I'm like, let's talk about Adelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on, uh, we had a really good conversation. Uh, we, I, I had a really good conversation um, uh, in uh, in Cleveland. It's in this guy, um, um, uh, Bill in uh, Bill Callahan in Cleveland, who has just a tremendous experience and dr great work on digital equity over the years. Been working on this issue for I think longer than Travis even, um, and um, probably not longer than you though, Doug. And he uh, was asking me like, what what are the ballpark costs if you look at an ILEC, a, a big telephone company? Company, like let's just say like a windstream and uh they are going to um uh upgrade their dsl to fiber you know they already have pole position they already have you know, maybe some conduits what kind of costs are they looking at to go to do that upgrade well let me just give you an example i watched them build one of these in my neighborhood so uh, at&t came through who's the telephone company here and what they what at&t does is they only upgrade like 50 to 80 homes these little pockets right so they so I didn't catch them when they came through. They probably sent someone out to inspect it, but assuming that, that it's because it's their own telephone cable up there, that it was probably fine. So then they show up to build it, and they had two sets of trucks. The first set of truck uh, had had guys on it who were putting up the, uh, the, the receptors to grab the fiber, to wrap it around the telephone. And so they were going down the street, and this is maybe a half a mile of overlash. Uh, they were done in an hour and a half, and then that's followed up by the guys who put the, the loops in and the drops so that they can add customers later. They built, I would say, 80 homes here with about five guys in about two and a half hours. So the so you do the labor. They did the back. drops. Did they overlash the well, drops? They, even? Well, they, they, they no, they put no, they yeah, they put the they put the extra fiber up there. They're all looped up on there. So the answer is yes. The drop well, were they actually in there. two and a half hours? They didn't actually install the drops, but they no, they didn't them. install anybody. That's two okay. and a half hours, though. The street's completely ready, and then actually two days later, they're knocking on doors, right? So, uh, and so, so when you work that backwards, um, Verizon and AT and T have both been saying their top cost is six hundred dollars a passing. They often get by with two or three hundred. The fact is, now when you go to Windstream and it's a rural build, it's obviously a lot more per passing just because the houses are further apart. I mean, this is a city. House, 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 house. But, but the fact is, it's really efficient to overlash. Now, you know, conduit is almost as good, but the question, there's not that many places. A lot of them, when they built their original copper, they didn't put it in conduit. So, 
you know, so it's like, well, well boy, was that short sighted. So the buried stuff is a very different situation. So. It's so cheap and so easy. Why aren't we seeing it happen throughout the country? Boy, I, I have no idea. Well, you know, Verizon says they're going to do a ton of it. Why AT&T is not doing more is beyond me. I well, they no committed idea. to like a million more houses than were expected, I think, right? Yeah, no, about two and a half million more than what they originally said. But still, I mean, they serve, you know, four times that many houses. So they're not talking about building their whole footprint. In this town, I don't think they're probably past more than five or six or 7% of the homes. It's very selective. So, you know, it's the backhaul. They don't want to build the backhaul to get into the neighborhoods. So, so 80, what did you say? 80 homes took about a day to put to put together for them? No, half a day. Half a day? Half a day. <clears throat> Any sense, Kim, how long it takes takes you guys to do 80 homes? Um, Just it, takes, it takes us a little more than half a day to do. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, to do uh, or uh, two hours to do it, but yeah, no. I would, do you have your calculator out, Travis? Because I felt like you were like doing some numbers right now. Well, I had the same question I think you had, which is technically, since we, you know, like companies like us don't have access to the polls, we shouldn't be doing this if they can build these networks that cheap. Well, and, I mean, they already have the copper up there. They're simply lashing to. Oh it. yeah, they're, they're they're there's no new construction. They don't do. There's no messenger yeah. wire. Nothing. Yeah. It's crazy. It's what are crazy. The, what are some of the rough additional costs? So, like they they, they connect a home. It's probably like several hundred dollars worth of electronics and the yeah, drop wire no, and the labor there. So then they have to do the drop wire and, and the electronics for those companies. Again, this isn't a town that goes by the length, but these are all aerial drops. You know, aerial drops in a city like this, they're not spending more than two hundred dollars and. To, you know, 150, 200 dollars electronics, so six, seven hundred dollars all in probably, including the electronics. I mean, it's really cheap for these guys. So now there's lots of places in the city they can't go that are not that cheap, and they don't go where it's not cheap. That's their secret. So, well, what are some of the characteristics as to why it's not cheap in certain areas if they already have a copper line there? Well, because. You know, and, and this is my theory is that the, when they did this, I'm almost going to bet that they didn't talk to the electric company first, because if they did, the electric company might come out and go, yeah, I see you're already up there, but I see all these problems on the pole. And, and if you're going to be the new attacher, you got to fix them all first. Mm -hmm. I'm almost betting that they don't even let the electric company know so they're doing it. And I think they're using the theory. It's already my right away. Mm -hmm. and because... So if, 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 so like if you tried to do this on a muni network, they would go, wait a minute, you're a new attacher over Lash or not. So, so as soon as you get into make ready, because any given poll line, there's tons of embedded mistakes where the, the first guys cheated, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so as soon as you get into that mess, it's a whole different world. Well, so then, I think that, that would be one thing that would stop them for sure. Don't you also have issues with ice loading in a climate like yours? Well, or see, they have to model well, that and That's the reason they should go to the electric company. See, they're actually adding more weight to the pole. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to get their permission and do a new weight loading study. And I, I will almost guarantee you they're not doing that. <laughs> not, for the, not for the speed and the way they're doing it. You know, I, I don't know that for a fact because they, who knows what AT&T does. But, you know, it... it it, it would not be that cheap and fast if they were doing that stuff. I would have seen them out here doing make-ready work, which yeah. they didn't do. So, yeah. yeah, Doug's like that neighbor that's sitting by the window. Like we just, yeah. it's, off, it's off to his right right now. He's just, uh, look, what's that neighbor doing? What's that neighbor? Yeah, my neighbor started following me on Instagram, and I was like, is he worried about where I am all the time? Is that weird? Oh man, oh man, if we had if we had one of those little vehicles with uh, with the antenna on it, like 
Travis has, I'd be watching it all. What the hell is that? Guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> what do they do this? Like, so they go out and they attach to these poles, or are they just going, we'll do it now and like ask for forgive forgiveness kind of theory and hope. I bet they, I bet they never do anything, but they don't ask for forgiveness. They just, that's just their, what they're, they say, Hey, we'll see you in court. That's existing right away. And they assume that they already own it. That's my bet. So I, I don't know that for a fact. That's my bet though. Robert Heinlein called uh, that neighbor Mrs. Grundy, I believe. Um, um, okay, so uh, we were going to talk about uh, ACP, and uh, there's a couple of different points here. Um, one was interesting, and since we we're just talking about a conversation that Bill Callahan had um, had had uh, pointed me in the direction, I'll say that also talking to Bill. You know, he opened my eyes to the fact that like. We don't really know why people have signed up for ACP, right? I think the White House says there's 48 million American families that qualify, households that qualify. Uh, we have about 12 million, 12 million that have signed up, and no one really knows why. Like, was it just Lifeline providers that that I went out and did the work? Stop this before you start. I think this has to go as probably Travis's favorite governmental program. Um, if we, yes, second favorite, sorry. Okay, now you can proceed. I just needed to know that that Travis does like at least two government programs. This week. Well, the quick answer already is that probably 70% of those are for cellular connections and those, and the cellular companies are very good at signing people up, so. Yes, and so this is one of the things that drives me nuts. So, and what's interesting is that there's actually a lawsuit. I mean, there's always a lawsuit, but the courts being what they are today, uh, there's a credible challenge that the USF mechanism may be invalidated by courts because it's run by USAC. And so if we step back for a second, right, Congress has the power to do a lot of things. And Congress can delegate that power to administrative agencies under different conditions. And those conditions might be changing with the Supreme Court that we have right now, uh, making it harder for Congress to delegate. Um, now, it is even harder than for the FCC to take authority that's been delegated to it by Congress and then for it to delegate it. And that's what it seems to have done to USAC, the Universal Service Administrative Company. Um, and that's who oversees E-Rate and all the USF programs. And so there's a couple of interesting things. One is just, just drives me nuts is that they've never made data available in a, in a usable manner, right? right. Um, E-Rate e was impenetrable to figure out how it worked and, and how some schools were paying tons more than others. And AT&T was screwing people over until Evan Marwell and um, and uh, what was the the education superhighway took the information and made it useful, right? Like they they created because like you can do that in today's world, and um, and it would be really wonderful if USAC made this information available in a way to break down the ACP signups um, in a way that would be more useful, so we could learn which interventions are actually working to sign people up. So. That's one piece of it. And another piece of it was, Doug, you said that uh, you've heard um, some horror stories from folks lately. Well, you actually have had him on your show. And <clears throat> ask Alan Fitzpatrick back because he, he has a dreadful time because he's not, you know, I think you have to be a, of a certain size like Travis is to make any sense out of this. So if you're a tiny guy with under a thousand customers, this is a whole lot of work for no benefit. And so, and so little guys are really struggling with it. And a lot of them are just giving up. Hey, they're stopping to sign people up. I think so. that's a good point for Travis. How many people do you have signed up for? And are you still are you struggling or what makes how many how many signups make this worth the trouble for you? Well, you, you we don't have a we don't have a ton. I think we've got like 500 people on it or something. And you only really you, you only really bring it up if if somebody asks. I mean, you're not there's no reason to actively sell it or you know, explain it and because you've got to get qualified. You got to get your number. You got to, I mean, it's, I, I'll never forget. We had, I forget who we had on that talked about 
somebody couldn't order their service if they had ACP through the standard line because they had to go to the ACP line. Remember that, Chris? Right. I think it was Angela Seifer. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, and, and I got the sense that she was real disappointed about that. But there's no way to qualify anybody unless you have their qualification number, and the only way to do that is to go to their, you know, have them or you go to the website and try to get it. Now, Doug makes an incredibly valid point. If you're a small ISP, don't even bother. I mean, it's it's so if you don't have someone that can navigate the paperwork and and work your way through it and do the monthly, you know, submittals and you know that it's it's just not even worth it for a few people. But I think that's the problem with governmental programs because that's what we've talked about with the bead money. This is what we're talking about the ACP money is that we're putting out these government programs that are not really suited for these smaller ISPs uh, to use and take advantage of. Yeah. And I, I actually learned a lot about rural broadband providers. I, I wasn't really that well versed. And so I, I spoke to a couple of people and it's, it's very different providing broadband in rural communities than it is in metro areas. And I didn't appreciate the kind of impact it is to live with your neighbors and your neighbors know that you're the internet provider. <laughs> so everywhere you go, you get accosted. So like, like Doug's, Doug's charter problem, right? Let's just, let's play it out for a minute. Maybe it isn't even charter's fault. Maybe there's, a, maybe it's Doug's, Doug's router. Let's just say it's Doug's router or Doug's computer, but the ISP is always guilty till proven innocent. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're the, the internet person in this little rural town, you can't even go out to dinner, you know, with your with your wife or significant other without getting accosted by three or four people saying, "My iPad wasn't working last Tuesday night. Your service sucks." So you know? I actually I give this um, talk sometimes in which I address some of this, and I'm like, you know, like uh, when you are talking to an ISP and and they'll always say that uh, the, usually the problem with the connection is actually the Wi-Fi in the home, and yeah. people are usually nodding along with me, like sort of smirking. And I'm like, you know why they say that? And they're sort of like, oh, because they're jerks and they don't really care. And I'm like, no, it's because the problem's usually in the Wi-Fi in the home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just the fact that like that, that you know, Charter Spectrum and and all these other companies have lots of other problems too doesn't invalidate the fact that the sheer like, like either the plurality or the majority of the problem is Wi-Fi in the home. <laughs> like as evidenced by the fact that Comcast now gives out, I believe, a free uh, satellite as part of their Wi-Fi package. They're not doing that because they're trying to stop these Wi-Fi problems. Go ahead, Kim. But I was going to say, like, to give credit to a lot of it is Wi-Fi problems. Like, but I remember this one customer who had called us probably 10 times and kept saying her Internet was going out at the same time of the day every day and we went out there and we were like it's a wi-fi it has to be turns out that it was a rare glitch that water had been getting into the fiber line and like freezing and expanding which has caused her mm -hmm. to have an outage every day but but we as network operators have to be like a little bit sympathetic that we're not walking into situations where the, everybody's an idiot about like their internet connection to pebcac the old problem yeah, exists between keyboard yeah. and, and chair. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're always guilty. I mean, Kim, we had a version like that too. This person was just fit to be tied. We were the worst. We were, we were worse than the devil, right? So we go out there and it was this intermittent connection. You know what it was? They had it hooked up to their light switch. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Right? So every time they would leave the room, they'd Griswold. turn the light off and their internet would go out. It's yeah. like... 
But, you know, anyways, that's, you know, <laughs> I've got thousands and thousands oh, yeah. of stories like that. And you, but, gave him a, you gave him a gift card to a coffee shop anyway. I, no, I'm just like, I know I made him change their one-star review to five stars, just like the one last week where the guy, again, we're the one-star worst devil. Oh, yeah, but it was just ironic. It was working fine until they did a Windows update, and then it stopped working. Hmm, let's hmm. think. It must be the ISP's fault. So anyways, well, I'll get off my one, soapbox. One thing that we do at Team Utopia is to kind of mitigate that because a lot of our ISPs don't provide wireless routers is that we do we run a speed test and we have it attached to their account before we leave. So mm -hmm. we know what the speed was when we left. And so we can quickly say if it's an hour later, it's your Wi-Fi router. <laughs> like this is not a, the connection we're seeing. We were just there. So to get back to ACP though, I think um, the next challenge is... Uh, Travis, do you have a sense right now of how long from when you submit for reimbursement do you get it? Well, that side works pretty good. So, because I'm wondering, like, when when it runs out of money, like, are you just going to be shorted some amount at that point? Probably, because you know, again, my buddies that are running the rural ISP that I was just I was talking to, I said, "How are you handling ACP?" They go, "We're just giving them free accounts because mm -hmm. it's too much. It's too much hassle." So, I, I have a quote, and I don't know, D Doug will probably and Kim will probably understand. So according to the universal entity identify, I don't know what the hell this is. So anyways, instead of using the DUNS to verify your business entity, they are now using their own system. So if you're not in their system and you have to get in their system right now, we are at eight weeks of, of email of going back and forth, trying to get added to become a qualified ACP person. So my buddy just said, it's just easier to give away a few free $30 accounts and move on. You, don't, you just don't have, you just can't afford to dink around with these government systems. So right. another question I have for you, Travis, I've got so many questions for you today. Sure, thank you. Because like one of the big criticisms for ACP is that they're not providing any money for ISPs to market this. And you kind of like um, alluded that you don't really market. Or would you ever consider using any marketing dollars for ACP connections? No, why would, why would I... Hold on. Well, you're you're in marketing. Do you rely on other people to pay you to market your product? Well, I mean, if you're going get to get a customer that you might not have otherwise gotten, it might be about, like worth the marketing dollars. I mean, what if they gave you $50 for every new connection? Yeah. No, then, that I, then I'd probably have to prove where I'm using those dollars. I'm open to audit. I'm open. No, there is no scenario. I'll take the least amount of money that I can from the feds. Cause I don't, I don't want to be guilty. I'm guilty already till proven innocent on the technology side. I don't need that stress on the financial side too. So I would say no, but the problem is it's too tempting. If you've got 500 subscribers and it's you and one other person running the ISP and you're answering customer service and billing questions and trying to make payroll by next Friday, you might, you might be enticed to take some of those dollars. Just be careful what you're going to get in for. Because you might come back, it might end up costing you $100 to audit yourself to prove that the $50 you got was spent appropriately. Just my theory. Take it for what it's worth. No, I think it's an interesting thing because I like the, we talk about how many people are using it and how many people are eligible, but how do we get more people um, taking advantage of the system if nobody's going to market it? Well, 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 this, well, well and, I, and I think we can absolutely count that the big ISPs aren't pushing it. They all went to the White House and had their big group. Handshaking event a month and a half. Pat on the back. But they're yeah. not. They're not well, signing anybody up. Chris, you and I have tried to solve this for years. 
you know, is this where the is is the ISP component of this, you know, digital equity? Is that really the issue? And I'm not convinced it is. I really am not. I'm convinced it's either a a lack of technology, and believe it or not, because we're all on the internet all day every day and we enjoy this. There are certain people in our society that don't use a computer or hardly use technology at all. When and Travis says, believe it or not, I know he's going down one of two paths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's why I, I'm a real fan of like the PCs for people's approach. Put technology in people's hands. Get them addicted. You know, not addicted to it. Get them educated. <laughs> how to get them addicted to it so they become long-term internet subscribers. You know, that's 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 what I think is great. And no, pouring money and marketing to folks if they don't know how to use a no i mean but that's what kim's talking about is that though it's marketing programs that will teach digital skills and make sure it's affordable and get everyone you know you know these places still exist i did uh i just worked in a rural county in missouri where i swear half the people had zero interest in the internet okay yeah yeah they're not going to subscribe. They don't have computers and they don't want them is what they say. I've just not seen a place with that high of a percentage in a long time. Yeah, no, and I'm sure that they exist, right? I mean, that's one of yeah. the things, I mean, you worked on the plan for Monticello way back in the day, Doug. Yeah. And yeah. I later ran into the guy who lobbied hard against it and, uh, and was ranting about how much he hated Charter Spectrum at that point um, after having worked for them for all these years, trying to submarine their um, opposition. And he was like, he was like, yeah, he was like, I, I always thought that they weren't going to get the subs that they needed because like our our studies have suggested that those people are hunting and fishing all the time like they're just not people that they don't watch tv they're not on the internet like they're not talking on the telephone they're outdoors doing stuff in that which, could, which could have been true for more 15 years ago yeah right that's right not, that's not. I'm, right now i'll guarantee you that like pretty much all those families are on the internet <laughs> right um, so I want to, um, uh, talk about, um, uh, Doug, uh, you were, you have a question for Kim and Travis about whether they're quaking in their boots. We've asked this question before, <laughs> but the, you have some re more recent data that I think made you think that this is more of a serious issue. I'm pretty sure that we're going to get uh, another speech from Travis here, but <clears throat> in the first, <clears throat> in the first quarter of this year, half of all nationwide new broadband customers were either T-Mobile or or Verizon fixed wireless. That's a half a million new customers in a quarter. I mean, you, from an ISP perspective, you have to take that as a credible threat because if it, that trend continues, they're going to have five, 10 million customers. I'm just curious how you all feel about that. Okay, and I, and I, what, what I say about it is, and for, I know Travis says it's the worst technology in the world, but if they can deliver 100 megabits for $50 a month, that's not that bad of a product for people who've had DSL and they don't want the expensive fiber connection. Just curious. So. The, the good thing about us here in Utah is that we have a lot of big families. So that kind of connection will hold up. We will not hold up in a big family. <laughs> yeah, We have a built-in uh, protection, but I think it is a concern. You are seeing people get cellular connection, LTE connections for their, um, their broadband use. And if you're a single person or a younger person where that makes sense, I think it is going to be a threat um, I think it's a threat until they have to work at home or start building families. But I think this is more of a single person, um, at least in my opinion, a single person threat. And there's a lot of one and two people families. I mean, that's, you know, there's, that's a pretty big market. So 
Go ahead, Travis. What's your, what's your, Travis, what's your seventh least favorite technology? <laughs> idea of Travis's rant of, of the day. Of what all right, all right, here you go. You ready? <laughs> I, actually, I actually read the email that Chris sent this time about this show, so I was prepared. No, <laughs> um, so I love these type of technologies. I love any other non-fiber technology, and here's why. It generates next door posts. So here's what happens. We got a couple people that quit the fiber and went off onto, I don't know, pick your marginal LTE <laughs> home product. You get some little puck you put in the window and it, and they were on that service for a few days. And then they came back and they said, sorry, we'll never cheat on you again. And then we get 80 posts on next door about, well, who do you use? Oh, we use the fiber provider. And then we see our, our signups increase in that area. So I love T-Mobile. I love Verizon. I love LTE as competition. Yeah, I think it's great. It's, it, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> he thinks they're great because of how bad they are. I love yeah, it. I, oh, yeah, I, no, because all it does is it generates conversation. Right. And conversation, if there's conversation, the income or the fiber provider in that neighborhood will win every time. So, but in that conversation, like you're going into people who are educated about having fiber and not then not um, going off of it. But what about this upcoming generation of people who are 21 who are coming out of college with usually not the greatest broadband in those dorms and coming in and going, well, I can't afford these connections because the price of broadband's going up. And if you have a decent solution for fifty to sixty dollars, I do think it's a threat for some of the younger people. Well, uh, and, I, and I think part of the threat is it's a bigger threat to charter and comcast than it is to travis so mm -hmm. i mean when you're looking i, at, I wouldn't be worried about it you're comparing it against 80 and 90 dollar broadband that doesn't feel like such a bad deal so yeah i'm really curious doug do you have a sense of whether we're going to see their prices increase i mean i feel like we haven't yet really seen the full price increases that we are expecting i've been thinking about it for two weeks and you know everyone you know on the cellular side which is a very competitive market both at&t and verizon both just raised their rates so I think we are going to see it because that's a cutthroat industry now and they raise their rates. I was shocked by that. And so I have a hard time thinking that they're going to pass up. Charters raise their rates $5 a year now for five straight years. Are they going to not do that this year? This, this would I, I, not I, I, be the year to expect that. <laughs> yeah, this would not be the year expected. They're going to go. We thought we were done, but, you know, inflation. Whoa, this is a $10 year this year. Right. And, then get, and then I'm going to get text from Travis about how Biden raised charters rates. Right. No, I always yeah. send you that when the when I have to buy a twenty dollar chicken. That's where I really got ear or <laughs> irritated. Yeah, you're we're, we're only about three more rate increases away from the hundred dollar magic number here. Yeah, so you're, we're, you're yeah. irritated about the gas prices too, Travis. It's okay. It's not. Oh just no, that that Fed that Fed change that hurt. Oh, it that, does. That, that, that 75 basis points, that was a, that, that one stung. No, see, okay, so let's talk about this just for a second. Let's not get lost in it. I know in Sweden they pay. No, 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 no. I'm saying it's different. Yes, this is a, Lichtenstein this is and all these other countries. <laughs> this is different than the usual there. crap I say to you, Travis. It's a whole <laughs> new thing that you haven't heard from me yet. Okay. It's good because there's a ton of 
tech companies that have been valued um, because there's no interest rate. And so like um, these tech companies don't have a real product. They don't have a real business model. They've been getting by <laughs> because investors couldn't make any money anywhere else. And now we'll actually see companies that have viable business models separated from those that don't. And this is a temporary thing that has to happen in, this, in, the, in, the, in a tech cycle, I think, to weed out the crappy companies that are just sort of sitting there taking up talent to in, in, in trying to get as large as possible under the idea that they will eventually <laughs> they will eventually have a business model. Well, we just so had 12 years with no, with, we had 12 years with zero interest rates. It's the first time in all of the US economy since, since George Washington. It was not sustainable. We're getting back to normal is what we're doing. So. Yeah, Travis, I recommend listening to Scott Galloway. I think you know he's not right on everything, but he's first of all a terrific listen. But but I, you know it's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard that like for for many years off and on from people who follow this is, you know, the way the economy works. Like when there's zero percent interest rates, people put their money into a lot of things that don't make as much sense. And as they're forced to make hard decisions when the interest rates go back up, is when you see businesses having to get more lean and mean and and be more serious about what they're doing. We don't want them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> then, we, then we might have some real competition. So I, yeah. I like the way they have been doing it. I, but I mean, like going into a, like just a side note is, do we think that there, you're going to see less muni broadband projects happen because of this interest rate hike and making things more, not, ne more. <clears throat> not necessarily because you got to remember that municipal bond rates are not tied to the Fed rates. We've actually seen in past times where commercial <laughs> rates went up and bond rates went down. It's all that market is all based upon what the people who buy bonds are willing to take. And so, so, you know, that sometimes that the bond market is counterintuitive. So it may not go up the same way. Commercial loans are going to go up. Travis is going to see rate inc increases in his interest. So not just that, but municipal um, broadband networks generate so many indirect benefits that they're well worth it, even if they cost more, right? I mean, I think cities that have gotten away with building these networks and having them financed entirely by taxpayers with take rates in the 40s, 50s, and 60 percent, like they're getting incredible deals for what they're getting, right? I mean, it's a way better investment than roads. Yeah, but uh, now you're getting back to your original, why did they get scared off? If you have a business plan that goes, we're going to cover 90% of our debt costs, boy, you're in trouble. That's yeah. the public. That's yeah. the public perception. They don't the want to hear that. I agree with you. But like that's this is where right. you know we like to talk about having adult conversations sometimes. Right. But that's the public perception problem because now right. they're going, see, tax money is supporting the broadband. Yeah. And there's nothing we like more than to be taxed more, Chris. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, please. Some of us do, Travis. Some of First us of all, do. Are you, are you, yeah, we're just here to help your, your programs, Chris. Yeah. No, I'm and I'm here. I mean, I'm not here to say that there has to be new taxes. I mean, if you look at um, like Rio Blanco in Colorado and um, Fairlawn, um, Ohio, two communities that Travis, I'm guessing you're now going to look at on the map and try to figure out how to drive through. Um, <laughs> when you're there, there's great folk, local folks you can talk to where they they took money they were already planning on spending and they redirected it to help support the fiber network that they were building. So it doesn't have to be a new tax necessarily. Sometimes it's revaluing your pri your priorities. But but the thing is. I and Doug, help me understand this. A well-run fiber network should be able to pay for itself, shouldn't it? I mean, no, we're, we're, Kim's can pay for well, itself. It's, it's all a matter of size. I mean, if, if you have a <laughs> thousand a customers, dig. maybe not. But any ISP over three to five thousand customers should pay for itself. Yeah. But but it's it's easy to get forty percent of the market share after three years. I mean, not easy. Know. What? How is not it easy. not? Easy? 
I'll just say it's not easy. I mean, like I there's like I mean, Dane Jasper is one of the smartest, best run networks. And when he builds into new areas, I don't think he has forty percent in three years and in, in many of these markets. It's, Where is he building? Is he building in, in San Francisco in, and north of the Bay Area? You're talking markets that have heavily or have heavy competition in them. You're not necessarily going to get to 40% take rate. I mean, you hope to. And while we're saying this, since Travis just dinged me, um, I want to do my top fit four, uh, three favorite people on this show. <laughs> <laughs> How did I ding you? <laughs> no, I think it was sort of me. I was making a little bit of a, of a joke, Kim. But I think it's Travis's point is a good one. Uh, I would say I've, I have long said that I felt that um, it was very difficult. Um, and I should say extremely difficult, extremely very difficult, very extremely difficult to have a municipal open access fiber network pay for itself. Mm -hmm. But it seems like you're making that work now. And, you know, if you look at Yellowstone. Again, that's an economy of scale, so you just have to get big enough. You yeah. have to get big enough. And I, I think that we, we will say this publicly over and over again. We didn't become operationally break even until we were at 15,000 subs. Um, right. It's very hard to have the expertise. We don't like we have all of our engineers in-house. We have our knock in-house. And a lot of these places uh, really use other companies for those operational aspects. But no, we're like, it's only because of me. I mean, we were only at like 10,000 customers when I started and we're uh, just shy of 50,000 at this point. So, I you, mean, you don't know, Kim, you have I want to, I just want to say before, she, I want to say before oh. she ranks her favorite people in the panel that I really like her black scholar. <laughs> <laughs> but Kim, you know, you have jokingly say that on a regular basis, but I don't think you're really, it's, you're far off the mark. You know, you and, and whoever the, is the senior team there that's running the business, that's what people need. You know, buying fiber and conduit and switches and all that. I mean, let probably shouldn't say this in public, but we didn't really invent anything. We're just plugging together stuff that other people invented. So, you know, it's not like we've got to reinvent Ethernet. You just install it, you know, run it. So, But if you're not passionate about it like you guys are, you're never going to get to 40%. I just, Chris, I challenge you. If, if we walk down the street and talk to 10 people and we can't sign four people up. Okay. Well, you don't need, I, yeah, you don't, you've, you've done there, it. Obviously. You've done it. And like we said, many of the municipal fiber networks are hitting those marks around this time, but there's a general agreement among wall street analysts that uh, an incumbent fiber play will, will struggle to even hit 40% within a few years. And it will usually top out and, and, and had its ceiling at 40%. AT&T swears they hit 40% on all these little pockets they build. They're, they're swearing. Okay, so they've cherry-picked areas where they're where they're like happy to well, have 40%. They, they, well, they are. But, but believe it or not, those areas are not necessarily economic good. Again, they don't like backhaul. They happen to build around the place where they happen to have something. Sure. And so it might be around a school where it's small houses or around something where it's big houses. They build them both. Uh, so they, they, they don't cherry-pick as much as you might think. And the beauty about municipal fiber is that you usually it's public information, so you can understand what their take rates are a lot better than the big uh, telcos. Um, big telcos can lie for the most part. And uh, right. we have no idea what they yeah. really do with the big telcos. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. mine is public. I mean, the, anybody could get that information for the most part. And one thing I will say about municipal municipal fiber and open access is I think the problem of why it has always struggled is because People want to walk in and make the ISPs do every bit of work without taking any ownership as the network owner of it. And I think that is the big. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. They want, here's, here's the problem. These people, they want to sit behind their spreadsheets and their computers. They don't want to go out on the street and talk to their neighbors and sign. You know what? 
signing people up and doing door-to-door sales is the a terrible job, but you have to, you have to do it. And if all you think you're going to do is run some fiber down the street and wait for people to come hook up to you, you're you're you're, you're sadly mistaken. Yeah, you need and door knockers, you, not door hangers, right? Yeah, and all if right. you are not serving the hell out of those customers every single day, yeah, of course you're not going to get forty percent. But a properly run network, if you don't get forty percent, what did I just say earlier? You're a knucklehead, you know. So except for one a, comment, which is valid, you know. One of, one of the few Muni failures was a little city in Indiana who never knocked on a the door. They never yeah. advertised at all. They got about twenty percent and they failed. Crawfordsville. Crawfordsville. They never marketed. A classic. Yeah. I mean, most of these areas where you, you you see that sort of a dynamic, it is a failure of marketing run by Absolutely. a utility mindset, which is people love us. They read our mailers <laughs> when right. we put them in our yes. bill inserts. Our mailers, yes. Yeah. Or I would say it's all. Or if it's run by the local computer nerd who doesn't want to talk to anyone, you know, thinking that all the bits and bytes are the most important thing, and it isn't. You know, get out there and serve your customers. I think that's an important. And for Utopia, I think one of the biggest compliments I can receive, and I've said this over and over, is that a lot of people on this network have no idea that it's a municipally owned network because oh, you don't, no. we don't we don't market like a utility. If you're competing with the big guys, you have to act like you are the big guys, no matter what your size is. Yeah, all they know is the people who are serving them who are commercial companies, the guys on your network, right? I, so. I mean, this is where I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on you too much, Travis. I do. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. I feel like I, a lot of people who do this work and work in government forget that almost everyone who doesn't work in government has no idea what a utility is or anything else. Like, you know, they're like, oh, like everything's a utility, and I don't really know if it's government or regulated or whatever. I just think of it as this thing. And so a lot of people don't really know where the distinctions are uh, between these different things when it comes to utilities. Mm -hmm. well, um, so we've always been told by electric, the Muni, Muni electrics, a lot of folks have no idea they're, they're electric companies in Muni. They, only they forget. If, they forget. Right. Yeah. Only if it's cheaper. Um, Cause right around here, the city rate that I, uh, our offices is in Murray, Utah is that I can guarantee you that people understand they're municipally owned. Because it's more expensive. Well, because it's less. No, it's less. Uh, less. Uh, yeah, no, uh, most municipal less. systems are less. Um, the exceptions have were those that got involved in nuke plants often and had to, yeah. um, and, they, and not because nuclear is a bad technology necessarily, but because of the way it was financialized and the incentives worked, they all went massively over budget and were terrible and uh, terrible deals for the utilities that then got in over their heads. So um, that was why Wilson, North Carolina, um, it should have had much lower electric rates. It had artificially inflated rates for a while while it was paying off debt around that. But then as that declined, you could see what a well-run utility it was um, in offering lower lower costs. I'm sure everyone really was really interested in my analysis of the electric markets. Um, last thing I want to make sure we talked about with a little bit of meat was, uh, Travis, you made a comment about having talked to some rural folks along the way of this non-existent uh, trip that you made up to avoid hanging out with me. I kind of alluded to it earlier is when you run an ISP in a smaller local town, you're, you're, you get, you get earmarked as the, the, the ISP or the tech person in your community. And when you're at the grocery store, you, you're not anonymous in a large community, probably other than Kim. I mean, and you're the, the other celebrities on this show here. I don't know. one knows me when I go out to dinner, but if you go out to dinner in a small town, Everybody knows you. They all, you know, they air their dirty laundry and nobody tends to like their internet provider. So every tech problem they have in their house. Hell, my friend was telling me the other day that 
somebody's printer jammed. It's like you know, like the paper. Thanks, Biden. Up. Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was, and it was and it was the ISP's problem. You know, it, it's just it's that kind of thing that that you deal with every single day. And he goes, honestly, I'm getting sick of it. That I can't even take my wife and kids out to dinner without getting three or four people, you know, coming up to coming up to us and talk about their problems. People just need to chill out. Like we really need to, like we all need to, like adopt that um, that Doug Dawson laid back. Let's put on our tie dye (laughs) shirt and just not be mean to each other. Like you know, I mean, like I I, we're losing our civility. I hate to say it. Well, but but it also it it alludes to something you guys said earlier. You know, ten years ago, um, when they were talking about can you even get forty percent customers man the internet is so vital for everyone now i mean there people are addicted to this like crazy and like i've said this before people we used to be down for an hour people would go outside and do something else now you miss two pings and you're the devil incarnate you know that's how that's how bad this has become or how good if you're if you're selling the product well that's that's i would know i mean like if you're if you're utopia like people are loving you right uh yeah no they love you like i mean but we did have we were at an event this past weekend and um, I didn't, I wasn't able to make it, but I did hear a story of somebody running after one of my employees She <laughs> had a Utopia shirt on and I, I felt really bad. Um, yeah, like we get, I, I live in Salt Lake City, so Utopia isn't in Salt Lake City for residential services. So I get to um, escape the everybody knowing that I work for an internet company. But yes, in some of the smaller cities, um, one of the ones that my boss, Roger, who lives in, everybody knows that he is the CEO of Utopia. So everybody's always coming up to him, asking him what's happening all the time in his little community, yeah. building out fiber. And I think there's days he's like, I wish nobody knew what I did. Um, yeah. Right. But I mean, if you look at like area. consumer consumer reports would have you believe like Google Fiber is well loved. I think people love Sonic. I mean, I, I think, you know, talking about Jane Jasper, they, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's depending on which part of, you know, the communities that they serve you're in, you may have different experiences, but, um, you know, I'm Travis, if you wore this, if you wore a USI Fiber black t-shirt, um, yes. then, um, you know, people might be like, oh, USI Fiber. They might, you know, chat with you about not knowing that you're the guy that started it. I mean, I had, I had a long email from a, a customer, you know, a, r- a little bit of a rant and his the building he lives in will not allow us to do maintenance in the evenings, you know, overnight. So we have to do it during the day. Nothing we can do about it. So we had to do maintenance one time, like in the last couple of years. And, oh, it was it was the biggest issue on planet Earth. Right. I mean, nice enough guy. But, you know, it was just like there's nothing I can do about it. But again, you're guilty till proven innocent. Kind of like being married a little bit, right, guys? I mean, you're just. You know, I do you're... have a point, though, that hmm. like I live in Salt Lake City, and I mean, I have never had somebody stop me and tell me um, what a big celebrity I am for being. <laughs> I thought it was at Mountain Connect. Everyone knew who you were. I was gonna say. On the other hand, I feel like everyone, everyone who watches the show, I mean, all three of them know that you're single, and so I wonder if you start getting like date offers. <laughs> I did get. Well, on LinkedIn once and that was just awkward. <laughs> you know, Kim, that's not true. I got this random uh text from my buddy Mark Turner who goes, Hey, do you know who this is? Right. You know, he was he was he was he was a, he was a fan, you know. That's not yeah. Mark Turner of North Carolina, is it? Yeah. Uh, my buddy that sells the fiber products. I was at some trade show and ran into Kim at the airport. <laughs> It happens. It's because Chris yeah. and I are never in our locations. You just see <laughs> airports, not in our actual states we live in. I'm so super Doug, excited. Go ahead, Doug. I have a financial question for Doug. The amount of traveling and entertaining in this industry that Chris and Kim do, how much, how much rural fiber could we actually build? 
if they just stay at home, you think? Uh, you know, I think you saw that map where West Virginia is kind of empty. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think we don't have a broadband problem. We have an allocation of resources problems over at ILSR. So. Hey, I have real problems in my life. I haven't been upgraded to first class in like, I don't know, eight or nine flights now. <laughs> I'm with you. And Travis, you're really not making it up the ranking list on my top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you out so you can stay home. You know, I don't know. And, and why don't, why aren't you guys in Salt Lake? I never knew that. Um, so we like, or we have business class services in Salt Lake. Okay. okay, uh, okay. Yeah. We, we um, just don't have residential services. Google fiber provides residential services throughout Salt Lake. Oh yeah. Nobody wants to compete with them. So I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to compete to be a second fiber network. That's a tough yeah. go. Well, yeah. we'll see what happens with um, uh, Mediacom in West Des Moines. And uh, I think there might be another entrant there. And I got to get in touch with the folks from West Des Moines to do an update on what's going on. But see, if everyone starts at the same time on the fiber, that's a different case than if you let one company get a three or four year head start. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, so uh, question uh, whether we should have another bet. Um, uh, this one would be uh, when are the FCC maps going to be um, uh, available post challenge process uh, when they say this is it, this is the data set, first time they release it. Um, what's the, what's the timing? I'm, I'm going to say second quarter, 2023. I'm going to say January. Cause they're going to release them badly. They're going to be crap and they're going to release them anyway. That's what I believe. So I might go with Doug on this. I might even say, and I, this is going to be the, the risky bet on this. I might even say fourth quarter of 2022 and. And it's the politics forcing it out the door. That's, that's, that's exactly thought. what it is, is because they've, they've been scrutinized so heavily. Oh, now, wow. now here's the here's the wild card. There's there's a pretty good, you know, idea running around out there with four people and the commissioner. They might not be able to approve the maps, and they'll never come out. Mm. I think so. Harold Feld has a great blog That's post what he about said, this, and it's, and it's and it's very believable. It is believable. Know. I I don't know that um, Republicans want to go down that path so much. Like I'm sure they'll explore it, but I don't know that they want to um like if this was a case of where like the money would be out before the election or something like that they might be more but i'm not really sure that this is enough of an of an advantage for them to like do this so um we'll see but i'll you know related to that and um travis i'm sure you're dying to get your prediction in on the fcc well, well, I mean, what, what do we win here i mean i'm already going to be I'm going to be able to have two orders of chicken wings coming here pretty quick so i was i was going to make a different bet i was going to bet almost anything you want to bet that that if we rank the four of us kim's going to put travis last oh, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm actually ninth on that list i, <laughs> I assume kim I don't, is I don't know she keeps trying to give me covid at conferences here anymore so yeah um i none of you get number one rye behind the scenes is the one number one on this oh, we, we can all agree with this yeah yeah he's my number one so um, do I get to vote or not, Chris? Go for it. Yeah, what do you think? Okay, so sorry. What? What is this? Price is right rules too? Uh, no, I think it's um, um. I mean, it's closest. You know. All right, you are Chris's what? I'm so Doug is um, basically Kim is the near side of December thirty first. Doug is the far side of the thirty first, and I'm in okay. June of twenty twenty three. Okay, so May seventeenth, twenty twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he gets a big 
spot yep. there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wings that's will be fifty dollars a wing at that point. <laughs> if the FCC oh, yeah. freezes up on this, he's gonna win. So, yep. I still can't feel half my mouth. <laughs> it's very frustrating. That's okay. We haven't we haven't understood half of what you said. So <laughs> Which out. is about par for the course. <laughs> All right, hold on. Two minutes on like reality now. Kim, how's supply chain been for you? We're we've we've had our we've had some issues. Labor costs, are they going through the roof too? Um, luckily, I mean, yes, they have gone up, but a lot of these things that we um, have re-signed new RFPs or RF, uh, new contracts uh, as of late, um, we're, I mean, we are we are looking at higher prices and what that does into the end user price um, price point and how are you going to make these these projects pencil down the road and and that's there's a lot of conversations happening internally of how that happens right now and what is going to change and how are we pivoting in this environment? Um, is it sustainable or are we going to see something, the prices go back down for some products? I, we, we don't think so, but you just don't know. So we're being conservative, but we're out there. We're still building networks. We're, there is some slowdowns from some, some of those uh, issues, but not, not, not terrible. But you got to put that in perspective because if that ends up raising broadband prices two dollars, we can all live with it. I mean, it's yeah. it's not it's not it's not like hundred dollar broadband is coming soon. The wiz yeah. the, the wise wizard told me that one day. So no, I'll be worried about that when it's your price. The hundred dollar broadband is here for those of us who are already paying the, for the higher tiers of the cable companies. The question right. is whether the standard tier is at a hundred. Um, but I, I think you'll still be well below that, Travis. No, I, I, th I think we're fine. I just, you know, fuel surcharges are now a thing that has come up in the last couple of weeks. I mean, the reality of construction is mm -hmm. it's tough right now. And luckily, Chris always reminds me it's only transient. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, all things are transient. <laughs> I mean, I, heard, I think when he says everything's transient, he was referring that you live half a year in your trailer is what he's talking about. Well, I might not be able to. <laughs> 75 basis points. I might be knocking on doors here for too long. So, you know, Travis, I, uh, I don't know if I would want to see you at my door going. I just told my wife, I just told my wife, Travis, I think you just look at this all wrong. I just told my wife, stop paying ahead on the mortgage. We're done. We're just going to, we're going to the bare, the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I got to go back. I don't know what I did to upset Kim on this show. Back <laughs> week, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Travis, how how are things with you? I mean, you you had uh, texted me about uh, you had another price increase on on some of the materials where there doesn't yeah. appear to be a shortage. It's just them. Um, I think we actually talked about this with Alan and, and Matt last week, which was a great show. I mean, for not having Kim and Doug, we really did a great job there. No, you know the it's it, prices seem to now have stabilized for a little bit. You know, uh, a few uh, corner cases are coming out. You know, we're getting product. I don't know. I assume you're getting product, Kim. You know, it seems like I've set like a, a, a two week plus or minus time window with most vendors and we're now having to have them commit to it. But we have ordered now for 2024. So we've got all of our orders in for 24 so that we can make sure and we'll start accepting those deliveries second half of 23. So Doug, so Doug created an interesting financial model that we had to calculate it where, you know, we weren't, we weren't planning on having so much capital utilized sitting in warehouses. Right. You know? So that was, that was an interesting shift in the economics, but my goal for 2024 is to have everything in stock by January 2nd of 20 of that year hmm. to build the entire season. 
It's the only way I can think to make this to continue to uh, to steamroll forward. So, or I thought you were going to go on vacation. You just needed to make sure it was in stock so you could leave for vacation. Yeah, in in stock means sitting in our warehouse here in the Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't even want it like sitting on the other side of the country. It's got to be. I, if I was you, I would not have said that on a podcast because people know where to come to steal fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to come take some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we have one other kind of cool thing. We have our very first, we're, we're deploying 6912 strand fiber cable on a backbone under a, under a, a, a railroad track. So that's going to be kind of interesting. 6,912 wow. strands. Wow. That's Let's hope to God problem. that never gets dug up. Mm-hmm. You know, Doug, I was going to ask you, not to ramble on too much, remember the big old school copper cables that were yes. deployed in the... Any idea how many strands were in those the, things? The biggest one I ever saw was 1,400. 1,400, okay. But it yeah, was about it's four, four, oh, those, yeah. those were monsters, yeah. So yeah. Okay, cool. They get hit by lightning, they just all molt, molt, melt together? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, they're like cotton. It was interesting, but uh, that, that uh, you know, when those get dug up, it's no fun, so. No. All right, all right so well, to answer the next question time. nobody answer, asked. Doug got Doug could do 80 homes in half a day. It it takes us about a week to do the same. Underground construction. There right. you go. I don't want to leave that open ended. Thanks. That's interesting. And I don't know yeah. how long it takes. And, and that's more normal. What it is. Yeah. I mean, what they're able to do is mind boggling. So yeah. like if you're in the same neighborhood, 80 homes, we can do 80 homes in a day. It just might be in different cities with different crews working past them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. The Travis is saying per crew. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have per, if we had one crew working, it would take about a week mm-hmm. to get to in front of about a hundred homes. Yeah. Which is what, like five, six blocks, four blocks. Four well, blocks. we usually in 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 our city, it's about we figure twelve homes per you know half of the block. So twenty four, you know, two 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 four four blocks yeah. going down the street. Cool. Well, we're gonna run out of time here because. Um, um uh rye is uh has an appointment i actually have to hit the road to get out to the western suburbs for some photography and um really uh had a fun time with this uh we haven't settled on the show for next week um but i'm uh, i'm hoping it's gonna be kind of an interesting offbeat one for once not one of these you know run-of-the-mill ones that we always do Ooh, I just I believe he just put Travis down again. Yeah, you're supposed Chris, to start Chris laughing because everything that we do is offbeat. That's a, it was a totally <laughs> flat, just hey, failed joke. You gotta watch your jokes on this podcast. I heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kim was pretty serious today. You're so. all gonna cancel me, and uh, yeah. you know I, I probably deserve it. Uh, cancel so. you? Yes, you got canceled. Oh, just wait. Next time, I will have science and ranking charts for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We will stay tuned to uh, the uh, the old Twitter feed. Uh, Kim and I will be in Binghamton, New York. I think people can still sign up for that show. It's going to be a really fun show about broadband in upstate New York. Um, we're going to be on the same panel. The moderator's crap, so don't expect a whole lot. Um, that's me. And... Um, uh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, I think we're going to take a break around the July 4 week, probably, and then I'll see if we can um, convince Kim and Doug to come back uh, the week after. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful talking to you all. I hope you all have a great time. And uh, until next week, or whenever we come back, in my mouth, I can feel it again. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, this has been an episode of Connect This. Connect This.